Hey everyone, before we start this week's episode, I just want to say a quick something about the current state of affairs. As you may have noticed, we find ourselves in a global pandemic, which is literally unheard of. I mean, it hasn't happened in my lifetime. I've spoken with people that are decades older than me, and they report that it hasn't happened in their lifetimes. So this is something that just almost never happened. So I hope and pray that you're taking it seriously. I see reports online, and I even have friends that are still going out on the weekends or going out to grab dinner, and I just really want to encourage everyone that this is an extraordinarily serious issue. People's lives are on the line. People are dying from this. And so whether you think you're at risk or not, whether you think that it's wise to take advantage of the cheap flight tickets or not, I strongly, strongly, strongly suggest that you follow the CDC guidelines, you stay in your house unless absolutely necessary, and you practice responsible hand-washing practices and social distancing techniques. Guys, people are dying. I've got several friends that are sick. They're scared. I'm scared. I've got family that are at high risk. And so please, for yourselves, for those around you, for people you don't even know, take this as serious as it is. Treat it like the global pandemic that it is and stay inside and stay safe. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let's jump into this week's episode. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of the Invisible Truths podcast. We are deep into season two at this point, and as you know, I'm trying to be intentional during the second season about featuring um, voices of women, and in particular, women of color, uh, to ensure that uh, I'm holding space for those stories, those narratives, uh, in ways that maybe aren't done in our broader culture. And so in that vein, I have another phenomenal guest this week, whose name is Danelia Arechiga, and she is a birth worker, uh, which includes being a birth doula, a full-spectrum doula. She encapsulates placentas, and she teaches courses on child education, childbirth education. Thank you. I'm so excited that you're here, Danelia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, as we were uh, speaking, you mentioned the differentiation between a birth doula and being a full spectrum doula. And that differentiation wasn't one I was familiar with. And so I imagine there may be others that aren't quite familiar with that differentiation. Can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so as a birth doula, it's my job to support the family, the birthing person and their family through the birth of the child, whereas a full spectrum doula covers a lot of a broader range of support that folks might need, um, ranging from conception or help with conception to supporting them through loss, abortion, stillbirth, miscarriage, um, moving into birth, labor and birth, um, and then also going past birth into postpartum work as well. So it's just this this very big spectrum of different offerings and support that people who are going through transitions, whether it's loss or childbirth, can receive. Phenomenal. And you mentioned in our conversation um, that it was doing some of the education around parenting that helped bring you into uh, the birth work. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so I actually started birth work as a, well, I started when I was pregnant. After I had my daughter about eight years ago, Mm -hmm. um, I took a childbirth class when I was pregnant with her. And that's kind of where I got my foot in the door because once I took the childbirth classes, I was just kind of astonished at how little I knew about giving birth. And I quickly realized how how little everyone else around me knew about giving birth. You know, I was getting so much misinformation or fear-based information um, shared with me because I was also a very young pregnant person when I was pregnant. And so um, the classes really opened my eyes to how little I knew and how much more I wanted to learn. And so once I gave birth, I had a great experience, um, not without any complications, but it was still a very empowering, great experience. And from there, I just, I wanted to share what I learned with everyone. And so I ended up getting trained and I started teaching childbirth education. And then I got trained to be a doula, started attending births. I was just hooked. So I've been doing that work for about eight years now since my daughter was born. I love how um, our life experience can often inform the work that we end up doing if we're paying attention, you know, it, uh, and it sounds like as you were going through the process, just the, the, the major transformational shift that becoming a parent and, and from my perspective, um, the, the transformation is even deeper if you are carrying the, the child, you know, and, and anticipating going through the birthing process, whether that be a, a C-section or um, a, a vaginal birth. And um, I, I, I can only imagine how, what came up for you during that process. And so I'm wondering, as you think back not only about the experience of being pregnant and, and uh, giving birth, but also about your experience as a parent. What is that illuminated about your own life, your own self? What, uh, what dark rooms uh, of your life has that uh, caused you to kind of explore in ways that maybe you hadn't planned on? I think more than anything, um, this experience with being pregnant, giving birth, and then having a child and also having a daughter at that has really highlighted how disembodied myself and other women are quickly um, in our childhood. You know, a lot of times we're not taught about our bodies. We're not encouraged to explore our bodies. Um, Our sex education is very minimal. I went to Catholic school my whole life. And so it was even more minimal. And we were just taught, you know, basically don't have sex and (laughs) don't ask questions. Right. <laughs> so so um, that, was a, that was a very, very big part of who I am now as a person and how the, the path that my work has taken, really allowing me to connect to my body and to feel what it's like to feel in my body and to be okay with what it feels like to be in my body. That's what pregnancy did for me. It allowed me to really connect. It gave me a reason to touch my body, to nurture my body, to take better care of it, to put healing and healthy foods into it, to make sure I was staying hydrated. Like I finally had a reason to take better care of myself, which is really sad because we should all be doing that anyway. But again, a lot of us, especially women, are not taught that, especially at an early age. And so now as I'm raising my daughter, those are like imperative values that I'm teaching her is like taking care of your body, treating your body well, even talking to ourselves with a more positive light, you know, making sure we're nipping like negative self-talk in the bud right now, because as adults, that's a lot of our 
that those are a lot of the things that we are struggling with. I mean, I know I still struggle with that. And so um, going back to just feeling what it's like to be in your body, that's what pregnancy did for me. And that's what I tried to teach my clients is to tap into themselves, to connect with themselves. And it's very, very difficult for a lot of them because it's not something they've ever had to do. And it's not something they've ever learned how to do. They've always been taught not to connect with their bodies, to not listen to their bodies, to put the power of healing their bodies or knowing what's going on in someone else's hands, like a doctor, like, you know, someone else who is supposed to know more about what's going on with them than themselves. And so that's really the mission of my, my, my work is to help people reconnect to themselves on a deeper level and carry that into parenthood so that they can connect with their children as well. And that is extraordinarily important work. I've been on a journey of reconnecting with my body myself, um, and it's been difficult work, um, but also empowering work. Yet, I I feel pretty aware that I I imagine there are some key differences between my journey as a heterosis man and your journey uh, as as a a woman. Um, And maybe I shouldn't even presume that you identify as a woman, so my apologies for presuming that. Um, uh, But as someone who I imagine to others, presents as a woman at least the culture puts different messages on you than it would have put on me um and as you were talking i i feel like i sensed a little bit of um i want to say hurt or or pain in as you looked back at the messages that you that were put on you about your body so can you talk a little bit about uh, some of that that hurt and what it's been like to to see it. And uh, I don't know if you, you would say that you have healed it, if you're restoring it, I'm not sure what what verbs you would use, but, but what's it like to, to see that hurt? And then what do you do with it? What have you done with it as you've gone back into your body? Um, I would say that there is some hurt around it and it's something that I'm still very much working on. Um, It's, it's definitely stems from my childhood and being raised in a household where sexuality was not something ever discussed. It was not something you know, that we talked about ever um, at home, at school, it was just very taboo, very on the on the lowdown. And as a very young child, I remember feeling very sexual, like just being very curious and just wanting to know more about my body and the things I was feeling in my body. And I was attracted to people very early as a child, like I, I had romantic feelings for my friends or um, you know, developed crushes very early on, and even you know throughout my adolescence and in high school, my teenage years, like I was just very social, um, very sexual, very what people would call promiscuous, and I feel like I went through all of that because so much of that was suppressed as a younger person, um, and now as an adult who is very much empowered and feels a lot better about sexuality and expressing myself sexually, um, I'm still working through a lot of that and, and still working on reclaiming those feelings and, you know, the idea that sexuality is very normal and natural, you know, but even as a mother, it's hard to navigate that because I see my daughter at the exact same age that I was when I first started exploring my body and I instantly get triggered because my, my initial reaction is to be like, stop that, don't do that. Or, you know, don't touch yourself, that's bad. But I have to stop those voices and remind myself that it's not bad. It's very normal for kids to explore their bodies. They start 
feeling sensations, they start feeling certain parts of their body make them feel a certain way. And so I'm exploring ways to empower her to do that, to be herself, to feel what it's like to be in her body and to encourage it, but in a safe way. So a lot of times um, if I see her doing something where like she's touching herself or, you know, I'll see her like under a blanket, like doing something and I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, and she'll just be like, nothing. And I'm like, it's totally fine if you're touching yourself. It's your body. You can touch it as much as you want. But I just want to remind you that it's something private between you and your body. It's a relationship that you have and you have to do it in private because it's between the two of you. And um, that way she has a safe space to explore herself, but, you know, behind closed doors where she can be herself and she can do what she needs to do. Um, just because I feel like that's a very thin line that you can cross between like, okay, this is okay, but it's not okay all the time everywhere, you know. Um, there's a place and a time and it's also helping her develop a relationship with herself, which is also something I feel like I never really got to do. I'm, I'm just barely starting to develop a relationship with myself. I, I just barely started to actually value alone time with myself. Whereas before I would try to find any second to spend with someone else. So I wouldn't have to be alone with myself. Um, so I think that that pain that you're mentioning, I mean, I'm sure you like you said, you kind of sense it and, and it is very real for me because it makes me feel like I missed out on a lot. It makes me feel like because this part of me has been suppressed for so long, this, this sexual human part of myself, I've lost out on a lot of time. Whereas my little one, I'm hoping she'll have, she'll feel that empowerment so much sooner in life, you know, because she doesn't have the people who are around her the most, her family telling her like, don't be who you are you're not allowed to do that. And it's, she, she does have a lot of empowerment already. Like she'll tell me like, well, it's my body. Like I can do what I want with my body. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. You can, um, when it comes to like what she wants to wear and things like that, you know, that's her argument. I was like, well, it's my body. I can wear what I want. And I'm like, you're right. But there's also like, you know, limitations because it's cold outside and you can't be wearing sandals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it's, it's kind of bittersweet because there is some pain and hurt that I'm still working through, but there is a lot of beauty in being able to parent differently than the way I was parented and um, creating a safe and a brave space for my, my daughter to be who she is without judgment and without kind of pushing her into where I want her to be, you know, where I feel like a lot of us as parents, we tend to do that. We tend to kind of, we say like, oh, we love you for who you are, but then like, but I want you to wear this and I want you to look like this and I want you to talk like this and I don't want you to ever question anything or say no to me because I'm your parent and you have to do what I say. That's just not my style. Um, and I know it's not for everyone, but it's worked pretty well for me and my little one. And I, I am a single mom, so um, it does kind of get a little difficult sometimes because I don't have a partner to kind of bounce these ideas off of and you know, play like good parent, bad parent, because it's just me and I'm always both. So mm -hmm. um, it gets tricky sometimes, but it's been a great experience so far. Mm. And it's been very healing too, healing some of that pain that I, I'm carrying. Yeah. The, the, the concept of having a relationship with your body really hit me. I, I've never thought about that. Um, and it, it sounds like something that is very powerful and potentially liberating to have as as a foundation, you know, uh, your daughter, you said is eight. Yes. 
Yeah. And so to be that young and, and to have that message as a foundational message for your identity or sexuality, I mean, that is, it's just, it's an amazing thing. As you were talking, I reflected on a little of my own experience. So I grew up in a uh, evangelical household. And so the messages around sexuality were very restrictive. You have to wait until you're married. It's, um, it's a sin to masturbate or to lust or to fantasy, you know, all, all these things. It was very restrictive. But then before that, I was in an abusive uh, situation for the first 10 or so years of my life and where I was openly exposed to my parents having sex, right? And, and um, just like hyper-sexualized for a long period of time. And so I so my background has these two very polar experiences that have really shaped uh, a lot of how I've processed and understand my own identity as a sexual being uh, um, and my own sensuality. And, and the reason I'm, I'm saying this is you mentioned that you feel like you have missed out on a lot. Um, and I was struck because I have often had the same sentiment but it, I think there are ways in which our journeys diverge. Like I didn't necessarily go through a promiscuous phase because I was, I mean, I, just, I didn't give myself that latitude, you know, um, to the point where I didn't even have sex until I, was, until I got married in my mid-20s. Um, and so I'm fascinated by the idea that coming from somewhat different places uh, that we can both feel like we have missed out on a lot of things. And, and I think it's because um, the physical act of sex isn't necessarily the end it is that connection with the body it's the experience it's the exploration it's it's being in tune with the sensual energy that is within um and so whether you're having a lot of sexual experiences or not you can still miss out on that connection and and i think that's important to name what how does that resonate with you i think that's exact that's kind of what what i was getting at when i said i missed out is i I feel like even until to, to this day, like I, I can't say that I've had sex with someone that I truly love. Mm. You know, like I've never had that, that sacred connection with someone. And um, granted, like I have a very vivid sexual past. <laughs> um, and I'm grateful for that because when I got pregnant with my daughter unexpectedly in college, um, I didn't feel like I was missing out then. I was like, well, I've partied, I have fun, like I'm ready to grow up, you know, yeah. I'm ready to, to, to get things done. And this child was placed in my body for a reason. And this is my calling to start a new chapter in my life. And it's probably going to save my life because I, to be quite honest, I wasn't getting anywhere back in those days. You know, I was in college and I was, but I wasn't really doing anything. I wasn't um, close to graduation. I was kind of just spending all of my, FAFSA money and <laughs> hanging out and enjoying college life, you know, so it, it really, giving birth to her, getting pregnant with her really helped me turn my life around in the sense that it made me more responsible. And um, I was glad that I got all of that out of my system back in those days. But like I said, what I felt I missed out on was just that connection with someone that folks have when they're in a romantic, loving relationship and they are sexual with each other. Um, however, I also feel like if I had if I had learned more about my body and what I like and what I don't like and that it, that my body was a safe space to explore those feelings I may not have been as promiscuous because I wouldn't have felt the need for someone else to make me feel that way. I could have made myself feel that way. 
and that's what I'm learning now is like just really developing a relationship with myself and not even just sexually but just romantically and on a personal level like truly finding the person in myself that I love you know like finding unpacking all those layers and all of that negative self-talk and all of those inner voices that we grow up with in most cases because of our upbringing right like because of the things that adults in our lives tell us we are or we are not we start telling ourselves these stories and it's hard to not believe them when you've told yourself them so long and you've heard them for so long so unpacking all of that and seeing what's left underneath is this amazing person that I'm ready to let other people see now. I'm ready to share with other people. So I'm really grateful to have this space today with you to share this on your podcast because it's a it's a big deal for me to be able to say that publicly that I'm developing a relationship with myself and and I'm actually really enjoying it and I really love the person that I'm I'm learning to love. So um, it's that piece of self love that I think I missed out on the most and that's what I that's the gift I hope to give to my daughter. And to the people I work with as well, like all of my clients and the people that I come into contact with is um, my goal is to help them love themselves more through the process and reflect that and model that for their children after they've given birth to them. I think I really truly believe that that's the key to making the world a better place is if we start to love ourselves a little bit more, we're not going to accept, you know, the difficult and challenging relationships that may face us like we're not we're not accepting anything less than what we deserve at that point because we're like we know what we deserve when we love each other when we love ourselves but when we don't then that's when we kind of settle for a little bit less than what we think we deserve yeah yeah and I, I am so appreciative of you being willing to to come into this space and to share those things. I, I know that people would often feel safe to name these things. And so I, I think it's wonderful that you are. And, you know, I can tell you we're only 20 minutes in or so, and I've already been uh, touched by what you've said. And so I, I can only imagine how other listeners, especially, um, you know, people that identify as women, I, I, I am sure it's going to resonate really deeply. And what you're saying is exactly what someone else needs to hear. So. Thank you for that. As I think about what it's meant for me to grow up as a man and how I want to raise my son, um, you know, the ideas like toxic masculinity and, and rape culture are kind of ever prevalent in my mind, you know, and, um, and I, I imagine, especially while we were pregnant and we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, I often imagined what the difference would be like between raising um, a son or a daughter. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, as you have raised your daughter, if, if you feel a tension between helping her understand the importance of her sense of freedom, her sense of liberation, of the love of self, and wanting to protect her from all the shit, you know, that, that this culture is going to throw at her. And, and what do you do with that tension? How, how do you navigate keeping her safe, but also helping her feel empowered and strong? That is so difficult. Um, before I answer that, I, I meant to tell you earlier, congratulations on the birth of your baby. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, when we first connected, uh, your your wife was still pregnant and you were expecting. So that's so exciting that, that you gave birth. And um, I would love to hear how that all went as well later. But um, definitely. Your, it's a, it's, that's probably been the, one of the hardest things um, as a parent, besides getting triggered at all the things that I'm trying to allow her to do that I wasn't allowed to do. <laughs> um, 
kind of that struggle between protection and empowerment because realistically in our house like we're all about women's empowerment right I mean it's just me and my daughter my mom lives here right now so it's a bunch of women my family structure is very matriarchal we have we we're it's a bunch of women like we don't really have a lot of men in our family um I always say that I just think they they couldn't hang like they couldn't <laughs> hang with the women and so they just there's none there right. <laughs> um, because we are very strong women you know we have very strong personalities and very are very clear about what we want but at the end of the day it really comes down to preparing her for what the outside world is actually like because in our little bubble it's safe and we can say no and we can speak up for ourselves but when we go out there in the real world that's not realistic you know it it really is still very much we still live in a patriarchal society and um, I've seen it in just even small circles among friends where if she's the only girl she's often um, silenced or spoken over or her opinions are just pushed aside or or she's blamed for things and it's it's it was really hard to navigate because she's coming to me like well you said I all I need to do is use my voice and you said that if I say no it means no but they're not listening to me you know so it's heartbreaking and it is a struggle that I'm actively dealing with right now where um it comes down to community support. I think like really talking to our kids, boys and girls about honoring each other's voices and, and talking to our, our little boys about the privilege they have as men in a patriarchal society from the get-go and teaching them early on that when, that even just the, the tone of your voices because they're louder and they tend to be deeper you automatically have an advantage over a woman's voice, right? Mm-hmm. That's why you hear a lot about like corporate meetings and stuff when women are silenced because men really do overpower. I've, I've been in corporate situations like that where men overpower the meetings. And so um, I think just teaching them about that early on, even on the playground, you know, teaching them about giving everyone space to voice their opinions. And um, one of the big the big things that we struggle with, we, we homeschool. So um, I do, we have a big community of homeschoolers that we, we, school, we school with and we hang out with a lot. And um, it's hard to navigate these social situations sometimes because we want to do what all the kids want to do. You know, we want to give them that space to pick what they want to do and do that. But then they don't always agree. And then there's issues with like, well, so-and-so wants to do that, but I don't want to do that. But we always do what so-and-so wants to do. So when am I going to be able to do what I want to do? And it's very difficult. But working together as a community has helped. Being in communication, like if I have the kids, for example, and something happens, there's some kind of like microaggression or some kind of um, conflict that the kids have, I'll tell the parents who are not there about what happened so that they can talk to their kids and check in with them at home and kind of unpack these layers of whatever the conflict was and try to teach them those lessons at home. So I'm grateful for those experiences because they are the first step for my daughter to kind of experience that in the real world, you know, mm-hmm. and, and practice the values I've taught her, practice the things that, that we've talked about at home. Um, a lot of times it's giving them words for how to handle these situations. And one of the biggest struggles we have is that my daughter is very shy. Mm-hmm. I'm not very shy at all. So 
it's hard because I'm like, well, why don't you just tell him? Like, don't do that, you know? But she's right. like, she's like, I'm, I'm shy. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say that. And I'm like, okay, trying to understand where she's coming from with a just very different personality type. I'm just kind of like, okay, well, how can we find ways for you to still speak your truth and not feel uncomfortable? So it's, it's an active struggle that we're having, kind of finding the balance between protecting her and also helping her protect herself. That's another one. Um, she was taking karate lessons for a little while and she learned some like really cool back kicks and like punches just in case she's ever in a place where she needs to defend herself, um, which she has had to defend herself a couple of times and they came in handy. Mm-hmm. Um, and those kids that, you know, were trying to get rough with her never messed with her again. So wow. I'm not a big, you know, supporter of violence, but I also, when we talk about protection, like sometimes it, it comes down to having to defend yourself physically. So um, I think just having an open line of communication with our kids at a young age, moving into adolescence, and also having a, an open line of communication with the children that our, our children are closest to and their parents, um, not them directly, but their parents, so that their parents can also be in on the conversation, which can get tricky if they're not people that are aligned with you and your values. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who's a, um, maybe you wouldn't name yourself as this, I don't know, but as I hear you talk about the work that you do, and um, it's, I would name you as a leader. It sounds like you were a leader. Um, and so as someone who's a leader, or at least a model uh, for other parents um, and other, and, and children, um, who do you look to to support you, to pour into you, to um, to help you sharpen yourself? I am really fortunate to have an amazing network of parents who I consider leaders as well. So they're my peers, they're my colleagues, they're my family, my chosen family. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the organization called Latinx Parenting but it's founded by two of my really good friends, Lisette Toscano and Leslie Ariola Hillenbrand. Um, they're doing amazing work for Latinx families, bringing awareness around nonviolent communication and nonviolent parenting. Um, so definitely check them out if you haven't heard of them, but they're doing groundbreaking work about highlighting like these struggles that we have with our children directly and with the world. The, you know, really like empowering families to honor our children in a world that wants to silence and ignore them. Mm. And so um, tapping into that community has been amazing. Um, like I said, the homeschooling community that I'm part of, you know, there's just so many amazing parents who have so many great skills and qualities. Another one that comes to mind is um, my friends from Peace Inside Out. They're a nonprofit organization who do workshops around social justice and um, restorative justice Mm. and um, they also incorporate music and they're amazing and they've their best you know they're really good friends of ours and sometimes it's just a matter of texting one of them you know one of the other parents that I'm connected to and saying like hey I'm really struggling today like I'm I lost my temper I yelled at her I, I feel terrible I know that this is not the parent I want to be but I'm still working through this trauma that I have from my own upbringing and it's, it presents itself in these high stress, high 
anxiety situations that we have with our children, especially when they get older and start challenging you and questioning and and kind of using all of the empowerment you've given them against you, you know, it, <laughs> it gets very tricky. So, um, so just having those networks of aligned families that, that I can talk to and cry with and who understand what it's like to have these challenges has been extremely helpful. And just saying having a supportive community is, has been my best um, tool in helping me through all of these things and that's even talking about um I'm, I'm talking about even having support with just being an entrepreneur you know because all of these folks that I'm connected to are also all entrepreneurs and parents and uh, people of color you know who understand the struggle and um the odds that are up against us in many cases and so it's it's been really awesome to have that network in some cases to have their support more than the support of my family. Yeah. Because not everyone approves of the way that I'm parenting my daughter, the way that I'm talking to her, the way that I allow her to talk to me. You know, Mm -hmm. I have family members who are like, you're going to let her talk to you like that. Like she's being really disrespectful. And I'm like, if I'm not offended by it, I don't know why you are. Right. It's not, this is not a situation for you. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think just having that network has been really awesome. Yeah. I, I, I've noticed, um, I, I think as parents, a lot of the times we get hung up on uh, c- control instead of um, love and agency, and that's problematic. And, and I wonder sometimes if it, it can be more prevalent either in low-income uh, communities or communities of color. Um, and, and communities of color, I, I've been thinking about a lot because um, I took a class last year, the year before, for my MDiv, we were talking about the Black church. And the professor made the comment that in the African-American families, typically, they still subscribe to um, spanking your children and and physical correction, um, in large part, maybe because, you know, as, as we were brought over to this country, physical violence is what was used to keep us in line. And we knew that if our children got out of line, they risked death. So better to be hit or beaten by us than killed by a white person. Um, And rather than question and critique that on a broad scale, we've just toned it down in some regards, but kind of kept that embedded in the culture. And so I wonder how true that is in other communities of color. What have you experienced in your own community? I love that you shared that because um, I'm I'm of Latino descent. I'm Mexican American, and um, my daughter's mixed. She's her dad is half black, half white, and she's obviously half Mexican American as well. But um, I'm really trying to teach her, you know, about her dad's culture and about and about how that affects who she is and the types of um, potential challenges she might face as a dark skinned you know, woman. So um, I appreciate you mentioning that because I'm always trying to find those connections myself between like the Latino, Latinx culture and the Black culture. But I think we definitely have a very similar process as far as um, corporal punishment goes. Um, You know, we have these kind of, they're kind of like funny jokes in our community about like the chancla and things like that, that like, your grandma or your mom would grab anything to smack you with if you acted up or you talk back. Um, but it's, 
it's really triggering and it's not very funny, you know, because yeah. those are our experiences as children raised by Mexican or Latinx parents um, that we would literally just be abused if we did something wrong. Um, but going back further into our history, it's very similar. Um, however, I think that we are starting to move away from that. And, I, and that's the organization I mentioned, Latinx Parenting, that's, that's what they're all about is raising awareness around how that's no longer the way to do things and acknowledging the oppression that our people have faced over time and how that feeds into the way we parent or have been parented. And so um, I just, I try really hard to talk to my daughter about that. And, um, you know, I, I spanked her one time in her life. Mm -hmm. I was, it was when she was very young and I don't know what she was doing. I, I really don't recall this exact circumstance but she remembers and she has mm -hmm. told me like time and time again like I remember when you spanked me like you told me you would never spank me but you did and so we've had to talk about it a lot about how wrong that was how apologetic I feel about it how remorseful I feel about it but also to talk to her about why like it, it's it's kind of like we talked about earlier with being triggered and then just kind of diverting back to the only thing you know, which is what your parents did, right? And in my case, my dad had spanked me with a belt a few times. And I wasn't like a bad kid. Like I, I used to get really angry and I didn't know how to channel my anger. I didn't have tools for how to channel my anger. And so instead of like helping me through it, he would just threaten me yeah. to calm down. And if I didn't, he would spank me, which would make me more upset, you know? Um, so in that moment with my daughter, I'm sure I just got to a limit where I just didn't know how to handle what I was feeling. And I, I did it, the only thing I knew how to do. And so it's given us an opportunity to talk about it. And I've made a promise to her that I would never do it again. Um, but I, it also gave me an opportunity to talk to her about the way I was raised and how I so badly want to do things differently. And um, you know, a lot of times we hear things in our, in our families, like, if I did what you were, if I had ever done what you're doing right now, I would have gotten whooped, you know, like, that's still a threat. That's still kind of enticing this fear and control, which is what you're mentioning, like, this control that we have, feel like we have to have over our children. Um, and so the paradigm that I've adopted through my studies with Latinx parenting, because they also teach classes which I've taken um, to really help me in this because like I said it, you need support you know it's not something that just comes easily especially if you've grown up in a traumatic household um, is the nonviolent paradigm which is power with the child not power over mm. so you find you find power together you you find power by taking time to listen to how they're feeling to even say what you're feeling you know I, I can't tell you how many times I've told my daughter like what you said really hurt my feelings you know and that itself is such a radical move because when you're trying to assert your power but you're admitting that the child has hurt your feelings or that they've made you sad or that they you know asserted their power over you it can it can be very uncomfortable but it's realistic and it gives it gives our children a very nice introduction into emotional intelligence which i think a lot of us as adults are lacking 
is not knowing how to identify our emotions, not knowing how to share them or express them. And when I think about the things I did that got me spanked as a child, really all I was needing was an outlet to express how I was feeling. I was needing to feel safe enough to say, I'm mad at you, dad, or I'm mad at you, mom. You did something that hurt me, or you made me feel bad about myself, or you made me feel like I did something wrong when I didn't, you know, but I didn't feel safe to do any of those things. And so I would act out, which would lead to this vicious cycle. So um, the power with paradigm is so powerful. And it really is the backbone to my parenting style, which is really trying to just grow with her, not overpower her or control her. And it's, it's very difficult when you didn't grow up that way, but I have seen the benefits and it's made our relationship a lot stronger. Yeah. And I love hearing those stories and, and hearing how you're able to, to be vulnerable you know, with your, your daughter. I think that's so important, not only because it gives her a sense of agency, but I think when we do that, it's, it models what they can or should expect in later relationships of any kind. Right. Absolutely. And that's huge. Um, I, I don't think I got that modeling, you know, for myself. And so um, it just, it really fills my heart to, to hear other parents talk about that and do that. I've got a good friend out. Um, she lives near uh, about an hour away from San Diego uh, and she's an indigenous and, and Latinx woman. Um, and it was Whitney Hidalgo. Um, but she has, again, is kind of on the same tip in terms of a parenting style. Uh, she's got two little twins she's raising. And, and to see her uh, work to empower them to be consciously working through her own childhood trauma and, and to, to undo it and to be aware of when it comes up, um, it, it is just, it's really encouraging for me to, to watch that and hear other parents doing that. And it, it reminds me that some of these ideas I have that kind of sometimes seem a little crazy to me sometimes about how I want to parent are actually possible. And not only that, they're healthy, right? They're good for both me and, and, and my child. And so thank you for sharing that. So as we wrap up here, I like to finish with two different things. Um, the first is I like to give my guests a chance to uh, ask me a question if they want so that you don't have to. Um, but if there's a question that's been kind of brewing around, I want to give you space to ask it of me. Um, so is there anything that you want to, you want to touch on? Yeah, I would like to ask you as a new father to a little boy, what is the best gift you feel you can give your child? I've been thinking about this. Um, and it relates to the privilege that we hold as men in a patriarchal society. And I think the, the best gift I can give him is to help him understand how to use his power and privilege to um, to hold space rather than invade space or take up space. Because um, it's really easy to, to take up space. Um, we're kind of raised to do so as, as men, especially heterosis men. Uh, a little harder if you're a man of color, but it, it's still a lot easier than it is for women to do. And so I want to help give him the tools that I have learned about how to hold space, how to seed space, how to, um, to help other people feel um, to, safe, you know, with him and, and to, to just be aware of, of how his existence, whether he's intentionally exerting his power or privilege or not, might be affecting the people around him and to just to pay attention and to be aware and to know that when he screws up, because he will, you know, we all do, 
um, to recognize it and to, to try to restore the relationship in a way that is safe for all parties. Um, so I, I said a lot, but really it, it boils down to creating space and holding space as opposed to taking it up. He's very lucky to have a father who already is aware of that and, and can help him learn that at an early age and that will make things so much easier. Mm, thank you for that affirmation. I appreciate yeah. that. So as we uh, wrap up, I like to leave my audience with a practice or a thought that will help tie in the themes that we've talked about uh, throughout the episode. And so as you think about uh, nonviolent parenting, as you think about um, helping our children uh, have a sense of agency, having relationships with their bodies, is there a, a practice, a resource, or something you would point the audience to that they can do, you know, for two to five minutes a day for the next five days after they listen to this to help kind of reinforce some of the themes that we've, we've touched on? Yes. So um, I'll say two things because these are two things that have helped me a lot. One of them is something I learned from a woman named Alyssa, I want to say Weinzimmer. Um, I might need to get back to you with the correct pronunciation. <laughs> um, I actually heard about her on a friend of mine, um, June McKay, uh, online summit. Yeah. And uh, she talks about the voice body connection and she does this practice where you check in with yourself. So it's, it's like a how to speak your truth practice. And essentially what you do is you start by identifying any discomfort or sensations that you're feeling in your body. And then you identify any emotions that could be fueling this discomfort in your body. So it's very, it's, it's about being very intentional about checking in with your body and what you're feeling, you know, because so often we're just running from A to B and we're not really checking in with how we're feeling. And so if I'm feeling some tightness in my back, I can think back and say, okay, well, how much sleep did I get last night? Am I feeling tense about something? Am I nervous about something? And maybe identifying those emotions that could be fueling that sensation. And then um, taking it a step further and identifying any desires that you might be having that maybe needs and desires that are not being met that could be fueling those emotions as well. And so it's just a very beautiful practice that I've integrated into my daily life. Um, and I also listened to her podcast, which is great if, if anyone wants to hear it, but, um, that's one. The other one is something I've developed myself. Um, I actually started this about a year ago and I'm currently working on an ebook to help people learn how to do it is voice journaling. So, um, I used to keep a diary when I was a kid and I actually found one of them recently and was so embarrassed at like all the things that I wrote. <laughs> and it, it really made me realize how scared I am to write my feelings down because I'm so afraid of people reading it or finding it 20 years later and being like, oh my God, what was I thinking? You know, but um, more than anything, it's just a lack of time that prohibits me from doing it these days. I feel like I'm just super busy. And the majority of the writing I do now is creative writing or, you know, working on things for work. So what I did last year is I interviewed my grandma before she passed away and um, holding on to that recording really highlighted something I enjoy doing, which is talking mm -hmm. <laughs> and documenting, documenting more than anything else. And so I started recording myself talk and something really simple, just like starting with five minutes a day 
in the car when I'm on the way to the gym or on my way somewhere by myself. And I would start by just saying the date and the time and what I was feeling. And then little by little, it would grow. And I would all these other things that um, maybe I didn't even realize I was feeling. But as I started getting warmed up, you know, it started getting, it started feeling safer and it started feeling better when I was done. I'd, felt, I'd feel lighter. And so that's something I would encourage folks to do. And, and in, in an effort to connect with your body and yourself and like building that relationship with yourself is not being afraid to hear your voice, not being afraid to share your voice with just yourself. It starts, it starts with you. A lot of us, we can't stand the sound of our own voices. Um, but if we can start to listen to our own voices, if we can eventually take that next step with sharing it with other people. So that's something I'm working on. Um, diving a little bit deeper to show people how to do because it's not only documenting it and recording it, but then listening to it and being able to track your growth and where you being able to see where you came from. So, um, or how far you've come. So it's, it's been a great process and I'm looking forward to sharing that with people in the future. Is there a, an anticipated date and when you imagine the ebook coming out? Um, I, I'm thinking by the end of this year. That is exciting. I have a couple of other projects that are taking priority right now, but that's definitely one that a couple of months ago, I was just nonstop typing, like typing it all out so that I could have the outline ready and then just kind of filling it in as I'm, as I'm able to. So, yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Danelia, for joining me today, for sharing your wisdom and your, your voice. Um, it has been a, a touching experience for me. Um, and so I'm just, I'm so grateful for you and, and for the work that you're doing. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And if people want to connect with you more intentionally, um, what's the easiest way for them to do that? So you can find me, I'm most active on Instagram, um, at mommy amor birth. It's spelled M-A-M-I-A-M-O-R-B-I-R-T-H, mommy amor birth. Um, which just means mommy love in Spanish. And um, I also have a website at the same, the same name, mommyamodbirth.com. And yeah, um, Facebook as well, mommyamodbirth. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Invisible Truths Podcast. Y'all, this was one of my favorite episodes to record and one of my favorite interviews to do. As you can tell, Danelia is chock full of deep wisdom, and so I hope you'll take the chance you have and connect with her online. You can find her on social media at Mommy Amorta Birth. I hope you all are staying safe out there in the midst of this pandemic. I hope you're practicing grounding self-care, that you are staying present with your loved ones and those that care about you, and that you are loving yourself deeply and truthfully. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode of the Invisible Truths Podcast. Until next week, I'm Ben Tapper.